You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where, using a number generator and the Rate Your Music Punk charts, we choose one album and one EP at random to discuss. Uh, continue to follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Punk Lotto Pod. Our email is punklottopod at gmail.com, and our website is punklottopod.simplecast.fm. All our episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And please rate, review, and subscribe because it really helps people find us on the charts. So today we are joined by a special guest. So uh, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> uh, my name is Josh Robbins and I run the label Self-Aware Records uh, and I play in the band All Right and Late Bloomer. Awesome. You just got back from tour, didn't you? Yes. How'd that go? Uh, it was good. It was very hot. We didn't have AC in the van. It was a two-week <laughs> tour, um, and it was a week after a... So that tour was with All Right, and it was a week after a West Coast tour with uh, Late Bloomer. That was like another two weeks, a little under. So, yeah, a lot of touring Yeah, uh, for me. I know people have done longer, but <laughs> it's a little bit for me, and we kind of split up. At the beginning of the year, we kind of just said, do we do like a couple long tours or do we split it up into a few tours over a year, I mean, over the year instead of like, you know, so it makes us look more active. Yeah. Um, I don't know which one is better, really, like looking back at it. <laughs> you know, it's like, do you want to be home more often and kind of gone, gone longer, but be home more, you know, or I don't know, starting to lean towards the other. I don't know the right answer. Yeah, both bad. It, both bad on your bank account. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I follow you on social media, and I keep seeing like, wow, he's on the road again. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's funny. I went out in a couple weeks, but yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I um, I went to uh, Lunchbox Records the other day, and I bought a Best Practices LP, uh, the EP LP, and um that sea of storms album mm-hmm. and i took him to the register and uh your uh bandmate and late bloomer scott runs lunchbox and he he saw what i was buying he's like do you know josh <laughs> i was like yeah he's like because the only people who know josh would be buying these two records <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh little paul too paul yeah, um, for sure. Paul was your last guest. So that's even, that's some, I mean, that's more up his alley. I guess it's the Venn diagram is very large between the two. Right. Of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, best practices, he 
I don't I didn't listen to that episode yet, but it was his old band. And yeah, Sea of Storms. I mean it's the only L the vinyl uh they have a new full length that just came out, Sea of Storms too. But yeah. um I don't think it's out on vinyl. Uh we didn't put it out. But yeah, the other one Paul helped put out too. It was a good yeah. between both labels. I mean it's a great record. It just for some reason didn't catch on. Um I mean I feel like it's legitimately they didn't they toured a bunch before the record came out and then just mm-hmm. stopped touring so you'd think that like even with kind of like their background and what other bands they'd been in that you know they would have taken off a little more but it was interesting you didn't see a lot of press about it but well it's just funny because it was like when that i mean it's i don't you know i'm not gonna like name names for press and stuff like that but it was kind of like you know, I can do press on. I I basically try and do press on most of the releases that come out on Self Aware, but sometimes I give the bands the option, like, hey, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are people that actually do that for a living. If you feel like you have the budget for it, you know, it may be you know helpful for y'all as a band. It doesn't necessarily directly help me, but. I mean, in a way it does, but in more directly, I think it helps the bands more than it helps that specific release. And they did actually pay for PR nice. from a reputable company. <laughs> um, but the company didn't do anything. And we ended up get like I ended up getting them like a full stream wow. somewhere. And they got some of a refund on what the it was like. You didn't do like anything. Yeah. And this was like a legit PR firm that does good work for people. So it's, it's hard to say with PR though. It's like really the dumbest thing, but it's like when it works, it's like that PR person seems like a genius, but anytime (laughs) I've kind of talked to them directly, they're like, I don't, I don't know, man. It seems like it's mostly just pitching stuff. So it's pitching. It's just like a lot of it's like luck. It's kind of like you hit that writer on a week to, where they need to make you know a little bit of money, and then the their publisher says yes, I'll run that story. So if you can get all of that lined up, sometimes it's that. I mean, there are legit things like you know if that same PR company does a job for Circus Survive, then it's going to be a home run. You know, yeah. all of, you know, I think that is actually one of their clients. So <laughs> I just narrowed it down. Um, so but if you know like, your uh, PR firms, I mean, I don't think people do. So it doesn't, <laughs> you know, but it's like I don't necessarily even know if they didn't do anything. That's the thing I was telling Sea of Storms. It's like it's really hard to say. Yeah. Like I've I've done press for bands that aren't on the label, and then I'm like, ooh, I, I mean, I can show you where I did the work, but we just didn't get anything. <laughs> but I don't yeah. I don't charge like the fifteen hundred or so dollars that that guy did. So yeah, yeah I, charge, I, like, I think nothing. That's part of yeah. part of it is the expectation of like, well, I'm paying you a lot to do this, so I would imagine there's going to be something that comes out of this. Like, yeah, sure, there's the, there's an element the, of luck, but you know, yeah, part of the yeah, I mean, you would you I would think because you, you feel have. like you're paying them for their expertise, but I don't. It's I wish it were that easy. I mean, it's it's you might as, you're just throwing money in a bucket and hoping something, <laughs> you know, something. It doesn't. It's really no more than that. There's no more analogy there or anything (laughs) you're just throwing money away but every once in a while something can happen Uh, yeah but i I was from sea of storms yeah yeah i was thinking i was trying to remember when we met and i'm i'm trying to think i think the very first i remember seeing your old band uh myth mountain play with trap them and narrows (laughs) 
and that was that's probably ten years ago at this point. <laughs> and then yeah. maybe the first time I like I met you was probably when I booked Late Bloomer to play in Hickory at the coffee shop. Yeah, I think that was our second show. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say that was it. Yeah, was Old yeah. Flings on that show as well? Yeah, it was Old Flings, Dear Cavalier, and that might have been the whole show, but I thought that was somebody else. Did uh, Joey play? No. I thought there was was uh, another local, as far as I remember. I wonder if that was like Handshakes, maybe. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Or that would have been the era that they would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that was the second Late Bloomer show. (laughs) <laughs> that was, uh, and that was actually like the day before I believe Scott's son was born. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we pretty much started the band, played a couple shows, and then kind of were like, does that mean he's not on our drummer anymore? But I don't know. That's like a silly thing. I mean, he's, I mean, you know, but yeah, we just kept playing. And now his kid is basically his son is like an indication of how long. We've been a band. Like it's like we can watch our band grow up as he grows up. So eventually, when he'll like get a car, and we'll be like, "How are we still a band?" <laughs> like it's yeah, I don't know. He's not that car age, yeah. Right. So we're not that old of a band, but yeah, I mean, Meth Mountain. Yeah, that definitely would have been. <laughs> Meth Mountain wasn't that long of a band, so that would have had to have been like we were a band for like a year, basically. Oh shit! Uh, I didn't realize it was that and, short. It was really short. Like, it was, we practiced for a while. So, there's like things that might say like 2008 to 2010. But, mm-hmm. like, we actually played a show in February. And then the next February, we played our last show, I think, on the exact same date. <laughs> and it's weird because, like, Meth Mountain had like a, a demo tape, a CD EP and a seven inch and then right after we broke up like a discography that included like a new ep we had so in like a year's time of playing shows that's a decent amount of material yeah i don't know and it's like feels like it was longer but i don't don't even feel like we played a crazy amount it's just was it got a good period in like our early to mid 20s and probably on the earlier side and it's just kind of the right age and time frame to do it but that trap them show was interesting because we had a lot of shows where there was like there was either the shows that went well or the shows where Stu would just stomp on his pedals a bunch because like (laughs) something would mess up and then he would like take it out on his pedals on stage (laughs) while everyone was watching him and then he would be like I never want to play this venue again Um, like I don't think that was the venue's fault we told you to get a new patch cable it was like always a patch cable Um, so yeah I I remember that show very well. I just used uh, the ones they send me with the pedals. It was just like, it's like, he we would go to practice, he would have the same issue with the patch cable. And then he would be like, we'd be like, you should fix that patch cable for the show. And then he wouldn't. <laughs> and then the exact same thing would happen during the show. It would always be on the song Monotony. And it's like this part, it's like, dude, you'd set like a, uh, a loop essentially like it's just he starts the riff like it's like then he hits the loop like right there and then so it keeps doing that and then that way he can do leads kind of over that loop but when his patch would fuck up it would go like and then kind of like fuck up and then he'd get like half the loop and then he'd freak out and start kicking in the loop pedal it was i mean it's funny now 
Um, <laughs> but it was always like, it's just like, dude, what the fuck? This is so stupid. Like, just like dumb shit like that. Like, fix your patch cable. That's the point <laughs> of that. Um, All right. Well, um, I guess we could start the uh, actual show. So, for this episode, we got the year 1981. And as usual, we go to the Rate Your Music charts to check out the albums that came out this year. And right off the bat, my initial reaction is, hey, this is a good year, yeah, but it's also a weird year. This Number is post-punk in full force. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, think, I think this year, kind of looking at everything, really kind of explains these two albums to me. But yeah, we can go more in a second. So, number one is This Heat. Their album Deceit. I, I'm i not really familiar with that band. I'm not either, honestly. I like the I, cover. I listened to a little bit of it. It's definitely on the more experimental side. <laughs> um, uh, some no. of it sounds really interesting, but I don't know if it's something I'd love from beginning, beginning to end. So Yeah. Um, number two, though, this is a very awesome one. That's Wipers, Youth of America. We talked about the Wipers a couple episodes back. Which album was that? Was it Good Lord? I'm blanking. You talk about an album for a week and think about it for a week. The yellow cover? Follow Blind. Follow Blind. That's the one we covered, which was a later one. Well, I guess in the middle. But uh, Youth of America is their second album. And it's not even really a full length, right? It's just an EP. Always listen to it on like, there's like a Wipers best of kind of thing. Or it's not really the best of. I think it's like a discography of earlier stuff. And I think the second disc has it starts with Youth of America, and you know the great track, all like eleven minutes of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's only six songs, but yeah, there's a couple of pretty long songs. There's Youth of America, and when it's over, uh, is like almost seven minutes long. So yeah, yeah I mean that's what when people always tell me. I, I a lot of people say that you know that kind of bullshit like you know songs shouldn't be over three minutes and I'm like you should listen to Youth of America like that will maybe I'll I pretty much agree with you in most cases but uh, Youth of America is a great ten minute and twenty seven second long <laughs> song like that's an amazing song or like it's like I don't know it's like that proves their argument wrong I typically prefer the shorter songs but at the same time. You can have a longer song as long as it like serves a purpose, you know. Like if you're doing something with it, you know. If it's just, I feel like that song goes a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, it really know? does. And so, I mean, I'm not mad about that specific song. Yeah, I think it's a great uh, counterpoint to everyone thinking every song needs to be a Buddy Holly jam. <laughs> uh, you know, like I mean, it's like yeah, we all agree. Like I don't know, even if they set out to make a 10 minute long song. Uh, looking at the lengths of most of their songs around this time frame, they're about three minutes, except for when it's over. Um, yeah. So it's like they seem to try the same thing as the rest of us. But you know, every once in a while, you got to write a ten minute, ten and a half minute long song. <laughs> so scrolling, scrolling down a little bit, I listened to a couple of these albums this week, just getting ready for the episode. And uh, that number four record is Susie and the Banshees' Juju. I really like that record, Susie is one of those she's like a legend but for some reason i don't really know too much of her actual music i feel like i just know her place in punk history more so like i i always i need to like dig deeper into her discography to like really you know 
see what all she's done. But that album right there, that's a fantastic record. It feels uh-huh. like to me, like I don't really hear people under like forty talk about Susie and the Banshees. But if you get like an older head in the scene, they will talk to you forever about Susie and the Banshees. So I feel like it like it missed me mm-hmm. by like a whole generation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's it seems to be really important to people that are you know like ten or so more years older than me. So and it's I don't funny that kind of happened. It's funny because the next band, uh, The Cure, their album Faith came out this year too, and they're The Cure have been around nearly as long as Susie and the Banshees, and but people today younger still talk about The Cure. So it's funny which bands are more important to which generations, even though they're from the same eras. I think The Cure probably was more consistent later into their career, yeah. um, and they definitely had more mainstream success. Whereas Susie yeah. is a little more underground. I mean, you know, they reference Susie and the Banshees and Stranger Things. So, I mean, she's not that obscure, but, you know. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I think it's like something happened there with, I mean, I think it, yeah, it just might have been not staying around. Like, I don't even know. Really, I don't know really much about Susie and the Banshees, so I would be, like, talking out of my ass. But, I mean, but it's just, yeah, it seems like it's, not as relevant as i would expect for people to drop it like even yeah like you said in stranger things uh but it seems to be almost like you know like when people it's like not like dead kennedys at all but it's like kind of like t-shirt bands it's almost like a band that people like to mention mm-hmm. that they like but they don't actually <laughs> because it would be more relevant now but i mean it looks like they stopped in 96 and the cure did not i think I- also they i mean they went on to that band, The Creatures, which I listened to their record recently. So I don't know. I don't know why people don't really talk about them as much. I, I mean, I guess The Cure, too, also had a ton of singles that were, like, really big hits. So that that could lend yeah. to people willing to give them more of a chance. Whereas, unless you were just aware of Susie's and the Banshee's, like, impact on early punk, you're probably not super familiar with, you know, later albums. So, or the singles. Like, to be honest, I can't even think of a single. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's... Well, it's, I mean, there's three of us, so it seems like it's not just like a one of us has a blind spot, so there must be, like, something to it. I mean, in a sense, they could have potentially, like, stayed around too long. I mean, 76 to 96, so... But then again, that doesn't really add up for The Cure, but I don't know, <laughs> yeah. The Cure's just an anomaly, I think. It doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense. After that, uh, number six is X and their album Wild Gift. Uh, is that the last like really great X record? Mm, uh, no. I feel like there's stuff after that, like under the Black Sun. Is that before or after? Yeah. I'm just oh wondering. yeah, you're right. That's right. That's eighty two. Wild for some Gift reason, that's is not a weird one to me in terms of. I, I feel like that's the first misstep. I'm hmm. trying to think what's on that. I'm trying to find them on even Wikipedia. I've listened to this album, and Adult Books is on this one, and that's probably the biggest. I think uh, you might be right about it being kind of a misstep in terms of, like, there's not, I don't feel like I remember as much about, uh, I mean, I feel like I listened to Under the Big Black Sun and Los Angeles the most, anything. I'm trying to, uh, I'm coming over is good. Uh, yeah, it's funny, like, I, I, it's only their second full length, and. For some reason, my mind thought it was like their fifth. 
but it's not. Yeah, I always think that this is like a later one to do the artwork. Under the Black Sun seems like it would have been an earlier one, kind of mm-hmm. due to the artwork. Uh, but that has a lot of good songs on Under the Big Black Sun, and that was just yeah. a year later. More fun in the New World. I mean, that still has. Yeah, that's got many. songs that they they play yeah. regularly. You know, um, we're having much more fun, and must not think bad thoughts. Those are yeah, really classic X songs. Ain't Love Grand. I don't really like that one as much, uh, but I think that's when they're kind of moving into. Uh, I'd say like more country esque stuff. Is that the one without yeah. Billy Zoom? Isn't there a um, period? It was. I mean that that one Ain't Love Grand is with Billy Zoom, but it has I a weirder believe, production. Like it. Yeah, the production is what throws you. I mean, it could be as good if somehow we could get like another mix of it, but then. Mm-hmm. Um, see how we are is the one without Billy Zoom, but it has Dave Alvin from the Blasters. But I don't remember liking that because of it. I like the Blasters a lot, which doesn't really make sense in my generation. If we <laughs> go back to talking about that, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember thinking that he's like a great addition. But yeah, I don't think he was on with them that long. Dave Alvin's kind of a weirdo, though. Continuing the list, man, this top ten is really good. So, number seven is the Gun Club's "Fire of Love." That's um, a great one. I yeah. I wasn't super familiar with the Gun Club, and like I listened to this album, like I knew their name and I knew kind of what they did, but I hadn't listened to any of their albums all the way through before. And I listened to this one, and I was like really impressed with it. It's like sort of psychobilly, but not really. It's yeah. like kind of kind of alt country before alt country. But I don't know. I really enjoyed this record. It's classified. I think the one the one to check out though is the one after. That. Yeah, Miami. Uh, Miami is really great. I did like a kind of deep like after Meth Mountain. I was in a band called Pullman Strike, and mm-hmm. kind of like if if Meth Mountain was the band where I discovered a lot more like melodic hardcore stuff, then Pullman Strike was the band that I went all in in the alt country and like rootsy americana or psychobilly kind of time frame mm-hmm. of my college years but yeah i mean so that you know kind of went the spectrum of uncle tupelo on and then into like the blasters <laughs> or the gun club and stuff like that but i'd say miami is the one but you can't you can't listen to miami on it's not on spotify so uh, whoever yeah. is whoever it not is i feel I like i believe so i mean cause... they have like a weird they have like a weird thing on spotify um it's like a not it's not i don't think it's live it's like or it might be live there's something weird that's up that's not like something you would normally listen uh, now i see yeah, a listing from miami i'm looking at it right now yeah is it up so maybe, now? yeah it's maybe it probably got maybe it's where we tried to, to listen to it like even a few weeks ago like on tour um <laughs> and i swear it wasn't there because yeah. we like every time we're out because we talk about that era a lot the guy who's drumming on tours with Late Bloomer now is a guy named Jared Rogers. He plays in this band called Nerve Endings uh, from Tennessee. And he likes a lot of that era of stuff, too. And I swear we're always talking about Gun Club <laughs> and X and stuff like that. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it kind of is interesting. I like this era of music a lot. And I think this list, like, obviously goes in next to, like, Black Flag. And right. Yeah. And Orange, you know? Yeah. Black Flag Damaged is number eight on here. I'm actually surprised that it's at number eight. I thought it would be even higher than that because this is like 
the Black Flag album. Now, I know everyone has their different preferences as far as like Black Flag records and you know vocalists, but I feel like Damaged is probably the most well-known Black Flag album. It's probably the starting point for anyone who listens to Black Flag. Yeah, I was surprised that we didn't discuss it. We, Glenn Branca is that high up on it. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it just seems like Glenn Branca was always just like, when you read stuff about Sonic Youth or in like our band could be your life, everyone would mention Glenn Bronca, but I was like, I don't know if anyone actually listens to Glenn Bronca. You know, it's like when they would explain like the kind of orchestra and then no one's playing the same thing. And I'm like, cool, but I don't want to be there. Yeah. You know, like that's what <laughs> so I was surprised that was high up on the list. So, I mean, but I feel like sometimes it's like, maybe, I don't know. I always wonder with like Black Flag or like thinking hardcore stuff. Uh, you know punk stuff should be like higher on list but i'm like it's kind of a it's not even as easy to get into as you know gun club in a way yeah it's uh, not as melodic i i did note that we have noticed a, on doing these rate your music charts that anytime something kind of appeals to people outside of the punk scene it tends to get way more attention and that it, it kind of skews the voting so like that's I think that's how you wind up with this Glenn Bronca at number three, and like this Heat is number one, but right. it's because non-punks are also reviewing it, and I wouldn't even call those even remotely. I mean, it's No Wave. I mean, and Noise Rock. It's, it's not I really mean, punk, but it is. I think and, it's the idea of doing whatever you want, but like, yeah, and that's why punk during this time frame. I think it's interesting, but it's also like hard to kind of pin down because it was really just like a free for all. And I'd say yeah. a lot of the stuff I would almost consider punk, but they're way, way different. Like even I'm skipping up a bunch, like Echo and the Bunnymen. I'm kind of surprised they're not like at the top of the list. Right? Yeah, I mean, I that would say that album was really popular. Yeah, that was really popular, and it's yeah, critically pretty well received and. You know, like looking at this, just this whole page in general, we it seems to be like an odd period for punk. Like yeah. we're in that valley between 77 punk and like American hardcore really taking off. I mean, yes, Black Flag is, you know, on here. And what, who else is on here? That's like a like the adolescents are on here. And, but and maybe it's because hardcore was doing a ton of like EPs and singles at this time. But it it is it's a lot more post punk. It's a lot more like not even new wave yet. Like there's there is new wave, but it's it's still leaning closer to post punk. A lot of arty stuff on here. Is there anything yeah, I feel on this? Like it's like people didn't know what to do. Yeah, with, yeah. You know, it's like they were just like we're gonna do something different. I don't know where it's gonna land. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that just like maybe even doesn't know completely what it wants to be yet, which serves i think public image well i don't know if that's like a good public image record but you know it's it's definitely a strange period and even in terms of like production on albums like i don't feel like they knew what to do with like these new sounds i do uh, think i like this this era of production better than like the the more middle later 80s production because for some reason all those albums sound i don't know they sound really thin to me it's like it's the bigger sound so like it has a huge sound but it it's way well, it's, colder it's what happens yeah. when you make everything as big as possible it nothing 
it just kind of flattens everything out yeah. and when you record all your guitars and drums i almost feel like give a lot of this like two years and their records in like 83 were probably like better mm-hmm. but then after that you got into the whole like everyone kind of went metal like even if you look at like tsol yeah um, oh, and yeah. i don't know what year uh let me see there's one really great album that's probably actually my favorite tsol record but it's not usually the one that people say and i think it's it's like an in-between uh change today like people don't always reference that one yeah. it came out 84 so that's kind of like proves my point but I, i'd say it's not like a real point but like uh <laughs> like people always say like dance with me is like the best tsol record and i'm like you should listen to change today because it's like doing almost an in-between where they went and where they went was really bad but it's like (laughs) yeah uh, but that in-between is great like it it has it's like a gothic-y kind of thing and it's more rock like the songs on chance of day are great i really like the one before that beneath the shadows that's the one i like the most out of the tsol discography we talked about their album revenge on our (laughs) very very first episode um not good (laughs) yeah it was a weird one and it it was like the first with their new vocalist and then like right after that they turned into like a molly crew wannabe yeah yeah that's where the in-between kind of is like the best with that stuff yeah Um, yeah i guess beneath beneath the shadows is well that one's like actually i think postponky yeah, that one's fun. I like that one. It, I also like that it's not like a straight-up hardcore record. Because I think a lot of hardcore from this era is is kind of limited. Because everybody was kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. What is there anything else on this front page that we should call out while we're on here? Modern Lovers is cool, but you know, I don't know if that's... I don't know what time frame. I feel like Modern Lovers is just on every Spotify playlist now. Yeah. I, so I hope I, Jonathan Richmond is doing well. I don't know oh, that, that I have ever listened to that one. I've I've listened to the first one and then I've heard maybe a little bit of like just like the son of solo Jonathan Richmond stuff and yeah, yeah, I have no frame of reference for that one. I love the first album, so maybe I should, you know. It sounds funny to, to say, one. but I don't I don't know who God is. Um <laughs> but, or I guess it's Rip Rig. Or what's her name? Rip Rig and Panic is the name of the band? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And they had an album called God, which almost like looks like it's like the band could be called God and the album yeah, is called Rip Rig and with Panic. the placement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, um, I don't, I don't, nothing really kind of comes out I, at me. Uh, that Minimin record, the punchline is really good. That's, is that the first, no, is that the first full length? Or is that? I, I mean, I'm, Technically. I, mean, I love Minutemen, but I don't know if that's the one I would go to. I mean, you can't no. go wrong with double nickels on the dime. I feel like right. it's like, you know, the one everyone always says, but that's for good reason. You know, I mean, I mean, they have good stuff outside of that, but it just has kind of everything you want from the Minutemen. And I don't really feel like that replacements era was when they had hit. People always do that and say that they like the replacement punk era, but it's like, I don't know, man. I don't really like listening to children try and write <laughs> rock music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, I think I really think that 84 and it's kind of even that's why I'm saying like 84 was kind of like there's a lot of cool stuff in 81 that is kind of perfected in 84. Mm -hmm. And but I don't I feel like there's a lot of good ideas in this time frame. It's like it's good that Minutemen exist in 81, but they didn't 
perfected until 84. And I would say I was trying to do the same with like the Stranglers. Like maybe they figured it out a couple years later, but I didn't like the next record <laughs> either. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of things where people were just were like really shooting for you know, cool ideas, but I don't, you know, and doing new things, um, even like the re- replacements even, you know, but I don't really think this is, they had mastered it by then. Look, Looking at the second page, it definitely falls off of a cliff as far as like super, you know, well-known records. Oh, yeah. uh, what's over here? Like that Ramones record, Pleasant Dreams, which it's it's okay. I mean, Ramones, I love the Ramones in general. That that record's probably not the best. It's got what KKK took my baby away and she's a sensation, but it also has a weird production for them. Like it's really big and echoey and. They weren't quite at mid-era yet, which mm-hmm. I think is their best to me. When they kind of got out of the like pop songs and into a little bit longer, like Bonzo goes to Bitbird, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in that kind of time frame, and then when they started really expanding a little bit within the song, it was like the best Ramones era for my money. Oh, like, I so live and, I don't know uh, that I've talked to a lot of people who like middle Ramones the most. I, I think I, I, don't, I think people like I want to live and uh, you know even like up into I mean their mid era really lasted almost to it's like the mid era really lasted for like the rest of the eighties and then the nineties I don't I don't know about that like, I love Adios Amigos that, but that's yeah yeah I mean like Brain Drain there's a couple of tracks on that that might have been like eighty nine I mean and there I feel like there's not I th- here's the problem and it's like if you're looking for an album by them then the early stuff is the best mm-hmm. but i feel like the albums kind of get weaker but there's better songs mm-hmm. on those albums like when you get to about once again like 84 there's some of their best stuff but you don't really want to listen to all of too tough to die right <laughs> but too tough to die has like some of the best songs on it I think... uh, but it's not a as great of an album i think probably like subterranean jungle is probably the last ramones record that i want to hear all the way through they did mania like in the what 90s you don't need to listen to you, know, <laughs> you can go to like the middle of the cd and, <laughs> and you know it's like we don't, we don't have to it's you know 2019 we don't have to have to listen to a whole you know but i mean that has what that has mama's boy uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where they started going into, like, kind of changing up the formula. That has, like, a lot of good songs on it, like Howling at the Moon. Uh, I mean, Warthog and Durango 95, yeah. which they used to, like, open every show for <laughs> the entirety yeah. of the list. It's weird because it's, like, they were, it was, like, their answer to, uh, like, hardcore punk existing. Yeah. I feel like, you know, and they were kind of a little late then in that regard because <laughs> yeah. 84, if they just started playing around with it. Um, yeah, I mean, if even follow, like, yeah. if you follow like what's his name, Stephen Blush's American Hardcore, he's like Hardcore died in '86, so like '84 yeah. <laughs> is uh, <laughs> yeah late to the game. Yeah, I mean that Animal Boy has good stuff on it too. I mean that's '85. Uh, I mean I think uh, every single Ramones album has one really great song on it, even yeah, Mondo I mean, Bizarro and Acid Eaters. Yeah, like I think like Animal Boy. It has somebody put something in my drink, mm-hmm. and the song Animal Boy, and uh, Bonza Goes to Bitburg, but I don't know. Yeah. Other than something to believe in, 
but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it starts, it's like these songs are better, but the albums itself aren't better so that <laughs> yeah. people don't remember it. But I'm like, some of the best songs are those albums. Yeah, I couldn't uh, even tell you what Eat the Rat or A Freak of Nature are. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, the album, yeah, they're not better, but the songs are better. <laughs> half of the, or not even half, like three, they'll have three of the best songs on like kind of the worst album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess we could spend enough time on the charts and um, <laughs> we can uh, start the actual albums. So. For this episode, we got number 99 on the album's charts, and it is The Stranglers, The Gospel According to the Men in Black. So you kind of showed your hand already. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you think of this record? Uh, you're asking me? Yeah. No, well, I was hoping you were skipping over me. But uh, <laughs> um, well, I had seen people, like I think even like wearing Strangler shirts. So I thought they were cooler sounding. So, <laughs> yeah, the shirts look cool. Yeah. Uh, they have a good logo. Like yeah, they're, yeah, I do yeah. like that pink, like Sharpie <laughs> well let me run through some basics on the band real quick so they are from guildford surrey england formed in 1974 and this is their fifth album and their first of two in 1981 uh this was released on liberty records and interestingly the album cover kind of has all the pertinent information as far as like the credits go the personnel on this record is Hugh Cornwell on guitar and vocals, Dave Greenfield on keys, Jean-Jacques Burnell on bass, and Jet Black on drums. It was produced by the band themselves, and it's the single Thrown Away reached 42 on the UK chart, and the album itself made it to number 8 on the UK albums chart, and that was considered a disappointment. <sighs> Because well, because everyone immediately threw the record away. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing about this record is it's a concept album. Mm. About, I mean, that's what they say, about aliens and the men in black. 
And yeah, so it was they were given free reign basically because their previous albums had done really well. And so they were like, yeah, guys, go ahead, do whatever you want, you know, anything you want. And they did a lot of heroin and recorded this album. Oh. <laughs> they purpose they said they purposely experimented with heroin to make this record. Really? Which feels like they're trying to excuse their heroin abuse, but <laughs> which it to me it kind of explains why this album is so dark compared to the albums on either side of this. So I listened to a little bit of like the album the four albums before and the album that came right after this and I like all of them much more than this one. And I'd almost say that the A side of this record is like almost unlistenable. Yeah. <laughs> so when I listened to this, I didn't realize that it was going to be basically a kraut rock record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My impression of the Stranglers was that they were a pub rock band turned new wave in the in in the eighties. This is way out of place in their discography. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I want to I mean, say though I didn't hate it musically. I think uh, I thought there were some good especially in the keyboard work. I th- I think the synthesizers and keyboards on this record are actually doing pretty interesting things, but yeah, the synth keys and guitars were probably the thing that stood out the most to me. It just like, doesn't I, come together overall. <laughs> I I got like some craft work. I even got a little Devo there are even some funny, there's some like certain guitar moments that I was like, yeah, that's an NXS guitar riff or like <laughs> Thomas Dolby's like, that sounds like weird science or, you know, uh, blinded me with science uh, and or a flock of seagulls riff or something like this came out in 81, which is before a lot of those 80s mid you know uh, pop records. But it was just you, I, I imagine this record was probably more influential for their synth work. And maybe that's what a lot of the new wave bands were borrowing from later. But I don't know. The songwriting, I ugh, it's rough. Do like the B side? It starts with two sunspots and two sunspots, four horsemen thrown away, and even the song "Hello to Our Men." They're they're all they're all pretty good. I I liked a lot of those, I, but not so much like vocally. I don't know. I enjoyed what the synths and the guitars were doing, but I his robotic kind of echoey vocals just did nothing for me. Yeah, I mean. I I feel like anytime I comment on someone singing, it's like I feel like I have to be like, well, as a person that's not a great singer <laughs> myself, but it's like I don't know if it's like production on his voice or like I just think his the mix the mix of this whole record is so bad. Yeah, and it's like we have enough during this time frame that 
like I don't want to give it the pass of like of like 1981, especially with a record that seemed to have moved as many units still as this. So it's like mm-hmm. it was expected to do stuff. So I feel like people were putting time into it. It's not, you know, it's not like an introduction. You know, they they had time to do this. Like it's just overall like the mix makes things even more annoying. Like mm-hmm. everything, even it's like I want to say the synth work, but a lot of the stuff just sounds like fucking circus. Like it's like <laughs> I like I like a lot of like craft work and kind of uh, you know even I like going into a lot of like dark wave stuff that kind of happened a few years later. Um, so I guess that you have to do kind of give it credit for like maybe what it influenced, but I don't want to, you know, it's like, <laughs> this well, is just bad. Like they should have thrown this record away. Like, and what I was thinking when I was looking at the charts, when you think about what they're doing on this record and when you compare it to maybe some of the stuff on like the first page here, you know, this heat goes a little more extreme in terms and and Glenn Branca too in terms of like noise experimentation you have better synth work and catchier tunes and better vocal performances on movement uh by new order and echo you know, and the bunnyman and right you've got you've got an echo in the bunnyman record a gang of four record a bauhaus record a psychedelic furs record all of which do some similar experimentations with punk and maybe even draw from a lot of the same influences of like can and noi and craftwork but do them better yeah i mean it's it's like i wonder though if it's like kind of like being in between the two it's like they're not like catchy enough to be like echo and the bunny men but they're not like weird enough to be like glenn bronca mm-hmm. um so it's like it's it's like sin is kind of being the middle of it you know but and so but it's like maybe they all did heroin uh, <laughs> but did the engineer also do heroin because <laughs> that's really the problem like i would blame a lot of it but then again if they were just like nodding off at the drums or something then yeah. what were they going to get out of them and these performances you know it's like it's just it's i mean i don't want to like just like i think it's like it's not interesting and just like trash stuff but it's like half-baked right. ideas like i don't mm-hmm. you know and I'm, i don't think i would ever write about like men in black but i also you know it's like a different time frame i think it's interesting that they were writing that but it also it's kind of it's kind of stupid that it says like men in black and then there was a bunch of like biblical stuff so it's like well which one mm-hmm. are you trying to do well like, they were doing to tie the two together like from what I read, they were trying to do like the ancient aliens type, like, oh well, the t- 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 pyramids were built by aliens. And, like, <laughs> yeah. like, what? Men in Black weren't around back then, so like, this doesn't. And we already have uh, the perfect Men in Black song. It was by Will Smith. So <laughs> I kept seeing yeah. people say that this record inspired the movie Men in Black somehow. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> The whole Men in Black thing was like such a big part of like sci-fi lore, um, no. starting in like the '60s, uh, yeah, or even like '50s. That it's like it was just bound to happen. But also, isn't Men in Black the movie? It's based on a comic book. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's it's like I, there was this movie I saw on the before Men in Black the movie came out. There was another like Men in Black movie I saw in like a 
motel room and it was like a made for TV, like Cinemax movie. Now, it wasn't a porn or anything, but <laughs> like it, it was just like something I saw and I was like, I remember a movie about Men in Black uh, before Men in Black came out. But I mean, I think it's just kind of a concept that was like mm-hmm. around. I think yeah, it's I mean, like it could be interesting if they picked one or the other. Yeah. Uh, but and also, I really hate the. Uh, I don't like like when your letters run together like you're a screamo band. Uh, <laughs> like it's all yeah. like, men in black, and then like they're named or like they're credited as uh, Hugh yeah. in black, Dave in black, JJ in black. It's like you know, fourteen. Like, <laughs> yeah, they have a lot to answer for this record. The gatefold. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. The artwork. If you look at Discogs, it has the gatefold scans, and it has the Last Supper. Except there's a a a guy in a black suit, uh, a men in black at the Last Supper table with them. So it's yeah. definitely them trying to tie in like religion with aliens and UFOs. <laughs> when I was like in my car listening to both records, and then I started. It's like I listened to the EP that we'll talk about. And then I started listening to this, and I was like, "Do they hate me? Like, what? <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? Like, like this is like. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty open minded with stuff, and I like a lot of stuff from this era. And uh, a lot of times, I like the kind of production, like how kind of high end everything is. Like, I don't feel like they really mastered like getting bass right, but it's just like." I just nothing was coming together for this album. Like I feel like I don't I dislike this album so much that I want to listen to more Stranglers to like you know, see if I Yeah, this album this actually thing. did make me want to go listen to other stuff to see kind of what the deal was with them and I did find a lot of the other stuff way more interesting than this record. So I if if you don't if you're listening to this episode and you don't have any experience with the Stranglers outside of these clips that I'm playing within the episode, <laughs> go try something. Try maybe their first full length or their second full length. Like, I think you'll find something more interesting there. Uh, it's definitely like, it's funny. They're like part of that original wave, like 77 UK punk, but they were almost doing post punk like right away. So I would try some of that stuff to get an idea and if you don't like that stuff then you're just not gonna like the stranglers because you know i don't yeah, i'm not I mean, gonna they, <laughs> they reach for a lot of things like there's i, I went to listen to la folie uh, i <laughs> guess how it's pronounced and yeah. i did i felt like there were a lot of the same production choices that i didn't really like um but it's I, like something i'm reading now it says the title track is said to be based on the story of Asai Sagawa and it's like they're really reaching for things you know and kind of it's so that it's like it's a Japanese man while living in Paris in 1981 killed and cannibalized a Dutch woman so they're like make these big leaps and like what they're writing about that's like Mm -hmm. cool but it's just execution I feel like it's I do think the songwriting is better on the La Folie the album that came out later in 81 it's just like they tried to write more pop songs than this album this album like the first half of the album it just feels like <sighs> i don't know the first half is so boring and un- yeah. uninteresting it, it they really did a disservice of starting this album with two songs and it the only two songs on the record at least from what i heard that have chipmunk voices <laughs> <laughs> and 
the first track isn't even really a song like in terms of what you expect it's just like an organ waltz i mean like which apparently was used as a theme song for a tv show oh weird yeah i can't remember the name of the i mean i could see that i mean there's so much stuff in this where i'm just like actually what i was thinking i was like i bet if i heard this out of context in like i don't know like a tv show or uh something i could you know i could be like oh this really works but you know it's it's you know i could see it in like a movie they throw it in in like a movie like about the men (laughs) in black not you know (laughs) i found okay i found what it is uh parts of the distinctive opening instrumental waltz in black were later used as the theme music for keith floyd's bbc tv series Floyd on food. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was... I, mean, I could see, I could see it. I mean, it's. I mean, I think like if you, I mean, I've personally written songs in three, four, but they really leaned into the whole waltz part of it, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so that's like you shouldn't like if you're already writing a waltz, you shouldn't like lean into the waltziness of it. <laughs> um, and so it just made it like uh, a sadistic carnival, and that's not. I really want to do what I, what I want to do with my time. Yeah, like it, one of the songs on here sounds like just like a Halloween sound effects album. It's like yeah. uh, it's which one is that? Is it the um, uh, I can't remember. Maybe it was that Turn the Centuries, or it's um, maybe it's this. Maybe it is the very first track. It does kind of have just like this. It's not a song. It's just <laughs> here's an intro. Oh, but it's also really long. Yeah. Um, I did notice there was some like funny like Mario Brothers style synth on <laughs> the song Second Coming. I felt like I I remember kind of liking it though. Yeah, but I don't know, well, but I mean that's also just while not liking the rest of the album. Was, like, you were oh, probably cool. like, "Hey, that's cool." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a sea of stuff that you were like, "Man, I don't like this." Well, I made the mistake of listening to the bonus tracks as well. <laughs> Because I didn't know they were bonus tracks until I after think I, I listened. Might have, I think I did too, since I listened on Spotify. Because um, I was looking at it just now, and it said 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it was like 50-some minutes, I think. And I was like, oh, man, that made it worse. Uh, <laughs> it really yeah. did. Yeah. Um, like, so, yeah. no. I got halfway through the record, and I was like, hey, I, I like 
I almost like the middle of this album. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's actually the second half of the whole album. Like, it's not even <laughs> just the middle. It's like got three really bad bonus tracks on the end that sounds just like the A side. So yeah. it, it was a very frustrating experience. And I was like, why is this album taking so long to finish? It's only 44 yeah, it's like 50, minutes. It's like uh, the the bonuses make it like in the 50s, but it's yeah. like a 50 some minutes that feel like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the vocals earlier and not wanting to be too critical of them. <laughs> I, I I know what you, I get what you mean. I'm not a great singer myself, but continue to try. But it, what what is most frustrating to me is about the vocals on this record is the complete lack of trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, it's like. I think once again, I mentioned like the mix. It's like, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know if it's his performance or if it's like the mix, you know, it's also like really bare where it's like, it's buried, which I'm fine with in a lot of cases, but it's, you know, thin. It's like, you know, it's like it could have been like double track. I don't think he has like a voice that you want like buried in that, that way. I mean, I would have, if I produced this record, and I never will. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't, it's just, there's just weird choices all around. And this could have been like straight up, like, I want my voice to sound this way. And I've never, I've never listened to this record on vinyl. There could be a better way I should, uh, I didn't need to hear this record, you know? <laughs> but I'd also think that's like, that's not great if I have to like go leaps and bounds to experience this record differently, you know, but I don't, yeah, I mean, I think I'll probably sit down and try and listen to more Stranglers because I really want to like give that guy a fair shake because from <laughs> like my tiny research of it, um, it looks like he. W- I mean, he left the band in like like ninety three and had like a solo career, I believe. Uh, but I don't know if y'all did more research on like Hugh. I looked at, I looked at a little bit of the band's history. You know, this the band is still together. They are one of the like longest running original UK punk bands. Um, they, as far as I could tell, they never really broke up. They maybe took spells of inactivity as far as like recording or like touring. But yeah, everyone on this record is still in the band except for Hugh Cornwell, and now the bass player Jean Jacques does the lead vocals. Oh. So hmm. it's it's interesting they kept it in the band that they didn't just go hire a new person to play. Yeah. I was curious about, you mentioned the engineer, and I was curious what this person had also worked on. So the engineer on this record is a guy named Steve Churchyard, and he is a Grammy Award winning sound engineer. And I looked at his credits. He has some crazy credits. So just going, he's still working today. He has done, in 2017... In 2016, he did a Faith Hill record. Um, he worked with Paul McCartney, Three Doors Down, Disturbed. Oh, he worked with the... Oh, that's a collection. Never mind. I was say he worked with the Stranglers in 2014, but uh, he worked with the Rascal Flats. Uh, his biggest credits is he worked on the Miley Cyrus album, Bangers. He also <laughs> worked on Taylor Swift's Speak Now as an engineer. And he worked on Katy Perry's Teenage Dream as the drum engineer. Wow. So this 
this dude has had a career. And if you go way back to the beginning of stuff that he's done, in 1978, he was the assistant engineer on a Jimmy Buffett record. So, and he did. Oh, yeah, he got to work. Uh, he did. He did, a, he did a better job on that record. He did uh, a Wings record in '78. He did a John Cougar Mellencamp in '78. So, like, I'd say he did better jobs on those. Yeah. The, so, I mean, yeah. I don't know what record they are specifically, but well, and his role was sounding better. Also, yeah, his role was smaller, probably. But he's but definitely it's, a it's guy who's to, worked with people. So it's hard to say. I mean, it's like it, this could be like an early job for him. Uh, I feel like it's like. I don't know. It's like one of those things where I feel like if I were to say that to somebody, like about the Stranglers, then they'll just be like, I'm the biggest Stranglers fan and you're an idiot. You know, and I'm just like, dude, I'm not feeling it. Like, I feel like there's enough stuff around this time frame where I don't need to give concessions as to like <laughs> they hadn't figured it out yet. You know, it's like the cure. And I, I don't know that specific cure record, but I mean, there's I stuff listen. in that time frame and it's good. <laughs> I listened to that Cure record, and uh, it's not my favorite Cure stuff. It's very early, and it's very it's a lot more jangly, but um, it's it's better than this record. And you were saying like the biggest biggest Stranglers fan is going to call you an idiot. Um, the way this show has worked in the past, <laughs> uh, we're probably going to get a ton of negative comments uh, <laughs> because we'll talk about albums that we love see 80% of the time and then the 20% of the time we don't like something we get the negative comments on so <laughs> well among <laughs> Strang- it's, stranglers it's, it's, fans i think this is uh, of their earlier work this is probably the lowest rated um it is okay looking so. at i actually looked at that as well so out of the first 1 2 3 4 5 out of the first nine albums this is the lowest rated and then it does it's not until their 1986 album dream time that you get a lower score so yeah the, the I think, even you know, at the at the end of the day i mean it's kind of like you know i might actually because i'm like i'm like such a i don't know if it's sadist or masochist i can't ever figure it out so maybe i'm a bit of both but like <laughs> i I'll probably go back to this record because like sometimes when I like hate albums this much, it might end up becoming my favorite album. (laughs) It's like, because it's there's, there is something there. And I think that they took like a huge swing with this, like with the concept, with some of the things like the choices. And I think like the mix, because the keyboards are like piercing sometimes. You know, and it's like, to me, I would be like, oh, bury the keyboard a little bit, raise the bass, you know, and make it less trebly so that everything kind of rides on it and kind of like buried the guitar some so that everything's kind of riding around the bass and drums would be what I would have said in mixed notes. But because I think that would have made a, a better album. Maybe there's like a remix of this somewhere. Um uh, but I mean, I think it's what I was saying is I think it's interesting and in what it's trying to give us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, you know. But I mean, but so is like so many bad movies, you know. It feels like that way. Where it's <laughs> like you watch it because of it. It's like trying to be something, but it's really not you <laughs> yeah. know, succeeding. And you're like, ooh, this is a beautiful train wreck. Uh, <laughs> so in that regard, I might. But I, I don't really like doing that with records as much because it's there's no visual element to it, so it just kind of grates on me. But I think I'm gonna like spend more time with this band and like maybe 
there'll be a complete 180 and like how <laughs> I feel about this band because I, I want to like them like I'm rooting for them I hate it so much that I'm like gum- coming out the other end and I'm like <laughs> feeling bad so, so just for your reference uh the way the way we rate our albums we have a, a scale of one to five or zero to five really so I would give this album I would give it a 2.75 because I think the second half of the album is good. I think I liked the second half of the album. There's a lot of stuff on there that I find interesting. So I can't write this off as like a a, a 2.0 or a 1.75. Like I, I, there's enough good on the B side for me to almost get it to three. But yeah, 2.75 is where I'm sitting. Uh, Dylan, what would you give it? I was thinking the same thing, 2.75. By the end of it, I was ready for it to be over. There's a lot that I'm rooting for. <laughs> like you said, Josh, <laughs> there are interesting ideas, and it's definitely a big swing. But I think it's also a pretty big miss in a lot of ways. So yeah, 2.75. I would give it two out of five because i think that the two is maybe on the b side and it's what it's trying to do but mm-hmm. if it didn't have the b side that it did then i would want to give this like 0.5 or one yeah <laughs> um, you know, but you know i mean, i'm probably being a little harsh on it but i think but i don't know i feel like two kind of says it's an album yeah know? but uh five you know so it's like i don't really we I, I would i'd be scared to get into like I feel like when I rate movies on like Letterbox, mm-hmm. I feel like it's like a two point five. It's like it's fine to me. Like it's it's a watchable movie, you know. And then three says this is this is you know it's like it's not a great movie. It's not like a great movie, but it's it's good, you know. So it's like if I'm using the same kind of scale out of five, I'm just kind of saying yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always have a hard time with those because to me it's like, well, you have five stars that you can give. So to me, a middle album that should be okay would be a three. But I don't think anyone else thinks of it that way. I think people are like, yeah. it's two is fine, is what most. Yeah, but the, the same way with movies, I feel like you have to take into consideration a lot of different things. And so, like, every time I like rate a movie and I tell my wife even though i know she doesn't care what i want to read a movie as after we watch it but you know she's just like but i don't understand like why you gave this adam sandler movie three out of five stars but you gave like you know i don't even know what thing like but i'll give like a marvel movie like two and a half stars and i'll be like but you really have to think it's like there's like a child scale with like adam sandler movies. And it's like it's like for Adam Sandler, you give him a pat on the head, and you're like, good job. You know, there's, like, a new <laughs> Adam Sandler movie on Netflix with him and Jennifer Aniston that's, like, a murder mystery movie. It's, uh-huh. like, Clue, on, it's like Clue, basically. Yeah. And then it's, like, not bad, but then it's, like, on the whole scale of movies, if we're having Godfather on one side, and then <laughs> it's, like, it's not, but it's, it's, it can't even be on the same scale. Like, it's like, you can't judge any Adam Sandler on, like, a Godfather scale. The way, I, the way I think of things is I tend to think of what the movie, like, a movie's, like, intended goal was. So, like, if you were trying just to make a silly movie that make people laugh, it's like, well, did it succeed at its intended purpose? Because if it did, then isn't that technically a five? You know, <laughs> it did its yeah. job. It did what it was trying to do, and it's not, it didn't <laughs> fail at what it <laughs> 
five yeah, out of five for being I feel dumb. Like I give, I give <laughs> that this album a two is because I don't really feel like it succeeded at what it was trying to do. Yeah, and like, I agree. And it's and it's you know, and but it's like I give it two because it tried. It tried a really crazy concept. Yeah, and that 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 is like it's like at the end of the day, if like art tried more than you know and if you try i feel like you try really hard and fail like it's like i don't i don't know i'll give you a big hug or something you know it's like you know it's really it is cool when people are pushing it and then someone can maybe there might be tons of amazing albums that wouldn't exist if they hadn't heard men in black and maybe loved it but then you know and so it's like but i still i still have to listen to that album you know so it's like yeah i can't but you know creativity and effort like really go a long way for me so like as long as like you're trying to do something original or you're trying to do something new it, it's hard to get really mad at it and i'm not gonna just like trash but it, it. yeah but if i if i want to do that then i'll just listen to like a band like suicide yeah yeah you right. know because i feel like there's total creativity and effort but and i think it succeeds way more yeah you know? yeah like it's like you know and crazy fucking concepts uh, for its time, but you know, and even before this, I believe, like suicide albums were like late seventies. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's one in seventy-seven. So, so yeah, and it's like much more listen. You know, it's still a hard listen, but it's like yeah. I mean, not the same thing at all musically, but in, in a thing where you could see them on a show together. Like, yeah. You could have seen a show that was Suicide Stranglers and like Patti Smith or something. Yeah. yeah, they they exist uh, in like a same world, even though they're not doing the same thing. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about this time frame and like I struggle to say punk, but kind of punk uh, for the time. You know, is they're all so different. Like to even say Patti Smith Ramones and Stranglers as one thing is and crazy. our EP, right? <laughs> yeah, are going so, to yeah. So let's let's go into the EP. So for uh. Uh, we got number 197, which that seems very high um, on the EP charts, which I guess on EP charts, not that high. We'll get into that in a second. Anyway, it's uh, seven seconds and socially fucked up. <laughs> some basics out of the way uh seven seconds are from reno nevada this is their second demo and yes we got tricked by a demo again uh was released on vicious scam tapes which i'm pretty sure is just a self-release thing uh and the personnel on this record is kevin seconds on vocals and guitar steve youth on bass and vocals and tom munist on drums seven seconds are were a straight edge punk band and very essential in the formation of youth crew hardcore, and heavily inspired by Minor Threat. So, in in the past, we've been tricked by demos on three occasions. I normally don't want to talk about demos because they're not truly finished product. It's most yeah. of the time it's it's purely just to be for the band or to give like other people an idea of what your band sounds like, and it's not meant to be 
I don't think it's necessarily meant to be graded on like as a finished product. So normally we try and avoid them. The way Rate Your Music works, they have a sec like you can label something as a demo, but a lot of people don't, and so they wind up showing up on EP lists. And I almost struggle to say this is an EP because it's what eleven tracks. Like it, yeah. yeah. It, but it's but it's like I when listening to it, I don't like. There's like a thing about this recording where I can barely tell like when one song starts and another one ends or just kind of zone out because they all have like the same drum beat, which oftentimes is good about punk. But I mean, like you were saying, like it's, it's hard to kind of judge it because this really are like children that recorded this themselves. It kind of sounds like, and this was just something they wanted to pass out probably at shows to get shows. Yeah. Um, So it's like, it's it, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm annoyed that it showed up on this list again because we got fooled by what a genocide, which was like <laughs> early repulsion, like and uh, there's there's one or two others that we did, and it's yeah. just like God damn it, I wouldn't have done it because I don't think it's fair to grade or judge a demo. So there's something about early punk demos that are really important documents for the development of punk. I mean, you know, think about like the ROIR demo by Bad Brains, like yeah. You know, and there there's definitely some minor threat demos that are like almost kind of essential listening. I mean, so when you when you I guess maybe put it into the context of really early DIY music demos can be a punk demo is probably more of a finished product than a typical demo from yeah. like a rock band. I, I think it was something that they stood by enough to like actually hand it out to people. So there is like a change in style though, which kind of surprised me because I mean, like it didn't surprise me that this existed, but I feel like in a way, if you would have just like almost would have thought that skin, brains, and guts was like you know the first thing in my head. You know, I just I don't really recognize anything really before that or there's even after listening to this i don't really think there's any reason to um because i really think that's like the first legitimate start of the band is uh skin brains and guts and then on to like the crew obviously Uh, yeah i mean i'm curious how many people even had this i mean i'm sure it was probably just a handful of people in the you know reno area that originally had copies of this you know Maybe yeah, I mean, if they played would, some California shows, they gave some out, but... Yeah, I mean, it seems like... Uh, I mean, I bet they probably mailed it off and stuff. I mean, it's it's not surprising, but I bet they probably mailed off copies of, like... I mean, whatever labels existed at the time. I mean, I guess early... 81, Discord, yeah. Uh, Alternative yeah. Tentacles, SST, I guess those all would have been around. Yeah, but I mean... I really, this is like a weird thing. A lot of times people, people do the same thing, I guess, like about seven seconds that they do like Ramones. Um, To me, I really feel like the mid era of seven seconds is some of the best. And people don't, people usually just stick with the crew and skin, brains and guts. Uh, Yeah, I was going to ask, would you consider yourself a seven seconds fan? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I think that they have an EP called Praise. Mm-hmm. that's like really amazing and i was pretty late I, like i would listen to walk together rock together and the crew a lot mm-hmm. um which you know still 
early era. I don't like New Wind as much, but that's the time frame. I think there's like a split. You know, I mentioned the 84 thing. Like people were kind of starting to kind of perfect these things. And then after that, they said, do we go, they essentially said, do we go metal or do we go melodic? It's like, do we go U2 or do we go metal? Mm-hmm. And in seven seconds, chose U2. And that's what like New Wind is, is like their weird interpretation of like, like that. But so did like, I don't know, even for like, Ian's bands and stuff, you know, they kind of went more melodic. But they were yeah. saying they were going melodic because of U2, which is like a weird thing to think of now. But the bands yeah. didn't go metal, went more melodic, and I tend to go more on that side. Uh, I would, things. too, because most of them just turned into, like, butt rock hair metal bands. Like, we talked about SSD not that long ago, and, like, ugh, the album they came out with, like, after, what, their, their second EP or so, it's just like, oh, okay, you guys are doing the exact same thing that TSOL did, like, you're, you're just copying the big thing what didn't even gangrene do that too like they went yeah they have that I mean, they have like that music video where they're like playing and people are skateboarding behind them yeah um, <laughs> i mean that's like there was definitely a time frame where like that's what i wanted to hear but i don't think it really like holds up that well um no. it's like it's also like there's stuff that were earlier on that that did that kind of skateboardy thing that were more interesting, like the faction and JFA mm-hmm. and like aggression. Uh, but when it started going more into like the metal side of things, I think that's like when people say like the scenes kind of died. But it's funny that people say the scenes died because they were probably like bigger than than like anything. I mean, you know, if Gangrene could have afforded to take like mini ramps on tour with them. I don't think <laughs> they could afford it. I think that's like part of the lore is that they did, and then they were like, we can't afford this. But, you know, it was like a pretty big time for that kind of music. And, you know, like, and then on the other side, like, stuff like Cro-Mag started going on tour with, like, Megadeth and Motorhead. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, how much of that was the thrash bands just championing the hardcore bands, and then those hardcore bands then getting, like, labels and budgets to do bigger things yeah, I think that, you know, things like uh, like SSD, that was like, some of those bands I think were shooting for it, and if someone like Motorhead had been like, hey, go on tour with this, then yeah. we would probably have a different, we would have a different history of SSD. We would maybe have like a better, I don't know if it would actually would have been better, but maybe a better recorded version of them being, trying to be Motley Crue. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's not even a good sounding record. Like, uh, no, like the, the one with like the SSD logo riding down the road, how we <laughs> rock. Is that the one? It's, it's just bad. Like, I don't think I've met anyone. I don't think I've actually ever met that said they liked that record. I mean, I feel like it's always a joke and I love SSD. Like, I mean, I love kids, kids will have their say. And I mean, I love that more than shit. What? Give it away. Get it away. Um, yeah. but yeah, we, yeah, um, but, yeah, we had y'all talked uh, talk to John about that one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. afterwards, we got um, a tweet from Alberil's wife saying we didn't know what we were talking about, <laughs> and we were very we just <laughs> we we like misspoke and like said there were maybe two vocalists on it, and like she was like oh, these idiots didn't even know the timeline of the band. I was like, well, it's not a history podcast, so <laughs> yeah, it's also kind of like a. 
the weird thing about that time frame too is like uh, it also a lot of the era hasn't been like well like not cult cultivated might be the right word like like i don't feel like there's a lot of people like no no one really likes it that era so no one's really <laughs> keeping it alive so it's kind of hard to find out information about any of these right. records even to the day like if i look up I think if I look up like SSD, how we rock, like yeah. there's not a whole lot of like history on it, or there wasn't like the last few times I, you know, I probably haven't done this in years because it's yeah. bad. Um, but like <laughs> you can't find a crazy amount about it. Like it's it's like one there's one paragraph. Yeah, it says how we rock was the third release from SSD. It was rooted in the hardcore sound, but exhibited over heavy metal characteristics such as re- relatively high number of lengthy guitar solos. That's all they say about it. And it's like there's no history about it. It's like so no one likes it. So whatever she wants to say. And then look at you should go look at the arcade looking fucking cover of Break It Up. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that shit looks like you went I mean there's well that doesn't mean anything to y'all but there's this arcade place in Wilmington called Jungle Rapids and essentially like if you were in the early 90s and you like went in the corner and looked at like old helicopter games that they still had <laughs> like, like that's what the artwork looks like, like yeah it, it really looks does it's like, like you're it's going cool. roller skating with your church and then you like <laughs> right next to burger time there's oh I want to play break it up <laughs> are you a like, bad enough dude to rescue the president <laughs> <laughs> what is it? it's just a pixel yeah <laughs> yeah that's what it that's what it looks like and i think i guess we're probably talking about this to not talk about the seven seconds thing but it's like going back to it i don't think there's really anything to really talk about because i don't really feel like like the band barely I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know that they probably did a bunch during this time frame because it says they formed in formed with like it was two sets of brothers and then like those other two guys wound up leaving and then it wasn't until they got i can't remember the name of the guys who joined the band later but like skins brains and guts is is when the band kind of took off because yeah they had their lineup finally and they were doing their what they were going for i did recognize like two songs on this demo i recognized racism sucks and i hate sports and i i do really like 
I like I hate sports. I like that there was a they a hardcore band in the eighties talking about like sports suck, you know. <laughs> Mainly, it was probably just a, a lashing out at like jocks that they hated in high school. But it, it it's funny to hear people talk about not liking sports, and and now it's like hardcore is dominated by hockey fucks and like uh, <laughs> who you know everybody loves basketball now. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's always, that's weird to me, like, uh, like, I don't know, I feel like, I remember, like, when I was, like, a young punk kid, like, I remember this one kid came to, like, class, and he had, like, Asics on or something, and he said he was punk, and I got mad at him, because I was like, you don't wear, like, skate shoes, like, you're not wearing, like, Converse, like, you're, you're, you're a sellout, you know? You're not even wearing Vans. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it just seems so stupid now, but like, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember people being as like obsessed with like sports and stuff like that, and into like punk. But I don't know. I mean, it, in all reality, it doesn't really matter. You can like whatever it the fuck you want. <laughs> like it doesn't. But like, it's it's something I've had to like just kind of like I'm way more into like baseball now than I was as like a kid. But it's just it's just funny, like and it. But it's funny too, coming from them. Like I hate sports, and I always thought of them as kind of like a, an introduction to kind of like jockey youth crew. Right. That's what stuff. I. That's my. I imagine like there's a ton of seven seconds fans who love hockey. Like <laughs> it just seems like a thing, a band that like people who like sports. You know, I see a big overlap in sports fans and seven seconds fans as far as. <laughs> On the Venn diagram of, I, I bet they love sports now. <laughs> I, I I would not. I would bet. I mean, and it's also like I wonder if they were like almost like secretly into it in that time frame. Anyways, you know, like I feel like yeah. that's like the thing. It was. It's like people were like, yeah, I don't watch sports. You know, uh, I did. I did appreciate racism sucks. It's. I know there were quite a few songs about race in. Uh, early 80s hardcore most notably uh guilty of being white and uh, <laughs> what white minority and like it's just like yeah ugh. i think but, i think like it's they definitely were less cringe in that respect like mm-hmm. i think some of their politics like aged better like yeah. even like not just boys fun and like i think i think that that's yeah i mean i think that they kind of deserve more respect than they get uh nowadays i feel like they're almost like forgotten in a way like i, I, I mean i think enough out. people like seven seconds but mm-hmm. uh, i wanted to point out some of the song titles on this on this demo are cops are criminals uh racism sucks um abortion which i'm assuming is uh positive just given the context of their other lyrics do we have the lyrics to that i'd like to well I'm looking at the lyrics to Racism Sucks, and the very first line is not a wise choice. <laughs> um, he says the N-word in the first line of the song. It's like, yeah. I get it. it the sentiment's there. He sa- It says, do you think that all blacks are N-words? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, I, like the, yeah. I get the sentiment. But just don't say the yeah. word, dude. <laughs> I feel like you have to kind of, you almost have to just look at that in the context of the time. Yeah. Um, I think that there was like a weird thing in punk and it still went on into the 90s. Like even like when you look at like all record, which, you know, the 90s, obviously. But, you know, like there's things where the whole song will basically read like 
it's kind of wrong-minded. But then if you go like the last stanza, and then it mm-hmm. says something that's basically like, you're a stupid redneck, basically. Yeah. But if you <laughs> disregard everything, you think it's basically a song. You yeah. Know, it's like, it doesn't, you know, really make sense. And But it's like you, and I, but I think the problem is, is when a lot of people read it, and they won't read the last stanza. And so, yeah. so then you get like the kind of dumb, no effects fan. Uh, (laughs) that even don't even realize like the humor that they had and their stuff that you know um the last line in that song is kill 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 the kkk destroy martin webster kill kill the kkk destroy ronald reagan so like (laughs) that's pretty awesome uh who's martin webster that's like a reference that's not gonna really make a lot of sense to i don't know like that would be interesting to kind of like note kill martin webster i wonder if that's like a local person he was a british far- political figure uh a leader of the far right movement he's part of the so, national national but that's front. so that's so like weird for someone from reno nevada to like reference <laughs> there's he a whole verse in this song it, but... so there's a whole verse in this song it's about england it's like in england there's the national front headstrong bunch these fucking c words i don't want to say it um <laughs> Yeah, with Webster as their figurehead, they liberate Hitler as he lies dead. So, like, it's weird that they would even be, like, super aware of England's, like... They're probably listening to a lot of Clash. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I wonder... So, Abortion Car was the song uh, that you were talking about? Oh, it's just called Abortion. I don't know if maybe they have another song. It sounds... I mean, this is what Discogs calls it, Abortion Car, but... Hmm. Hmm. Uh, abortion lyrics seven seconds C. Uh, I don't know if I can find them. Yeah, yeah, I don't see the lyrics for that demo specifically. Hmm. I don't think that song made it to anything else either. So yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows at that time? <laughs> but because it's, I don't know. Almost probably better off not knowing. Um, yeah. But I'd say for the most part, um, I feel like they were pretty ahead of their time in terms of what they're actually talking about. Like, yeah, that's like a it's a very broad sense mentioning British politics in a, in a lot of <laughs> band. And also because it's like with Minor Threat, it was, you know, it's like it's so weird now with Guilty of Being White. But it's like you almost have to think about it in the context of them being like 15 years old and like an all black yeah. school. And then also kind of like the weird kind of sarcasm that kind of plays into it, too. Uh, But it's like Seven Seconds had this weird ability to like think beyond it, which is like doesn't make any sense. Like it's that I do like that it 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 almost stands better today than a lot of their contemporaries at the time. Like I have the song Cops are Cops are the Criminals. Like that's kind of a pretty like fun title for a song and and. Like some of the, a lot of like minor threat songs were just about being straight edge, and I <laughs> guess there were probably a lot of seven second songs about that too. But like, I it looks like seven seconds were seven seconds were trying to say a little more, and I mean maybe they weren't the most uh, I don't know eloquent, you know, eloquent right? But they were getting the right point across. So um, I think was, that seven seconds issue could have been really throughout their whole career that I don't know if musically and great musicians, but I don't know if really like for what they intended to say, if they were like up to snuff as musicians, as much as what they were trying to pedal. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they didn't make good music. They made great music. 
for a long period of time, you know, but it's like, you know, Fugazi even like, you know, Ian went on to Fugazi and like, that's like a way more outside of the realm there. So it's like, it kind of stunted at a certain point, which uh, I don't know if that's really good or bad. Uh, Um, We are running low on time because Dylan, you actually need to leave in about 15 minutes, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and rate this. Um, I'll go first. Um, it's a demo, but it's so hard to listen to. I, I'm gonna give it a 2.0 based on it's a it's just a demo. Like I I want to give it like a one or less than one just because it's so unenjoyable to listen to. But because it is a demo, I feel like they deserve a little more credit. So I'm gonna give it a 2.0. Um, I'm gonna give it a 2.5 because it is a demo, and okay. I think that it's uh i don't know i mean i think it's just it's hard to kind of judge it so i don't really even want to judge it it's just it feels like it's like if i rate it too low i'm like hurting a baby (laughs) (laughs) like i don't think it deserves it you know it's like there's so much good like i don't know like going back to like the stranglers i don't know I'll need to listen to more of their music to really make a better representation, but I know that Seven Second ended up being amazing, so yeah. I'm gonna almost like give it a little pass. Yeah, I would give it about a two point five, kind of in the same. It, just like it's a demo, so you really do have to treat it, you know, hold it with kids' gloves and yeah. and and it's. But what you can hear through the lousy production is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. There so, is some surprisingly good guitar work on here for especially for a demo. I was like, hey, I, I like what they're doing guitar wise. It and a lot of hardcore at this time tends to just do like those scales that like every hardcore band does. And they do that too, but there is some some something a little more substantial here too. So I, I'd like to think, yeah, a better recording would have brought a lot out. But it also mm-hmm. could if you heard it better, you might be more like, Oh, you know, like even like it would be <laughs> You know, people love this album, but it would maybe sound more like Legless Bull or something by <laughs> GI, and I think that's like the worst government <laughs> issue. Um, I love government issue, but it's not the era I want to listen to. Um, so I think it's like maybe this is how it should exist, you know? Maybe <laughs> just raw. Yeah. Uh. All right. Um. So hey, that'll do it for this week. Um. Next week we are covering. We are going back one year and covering the year 1980, and we got number 27 on the album charts. And it is the Psychedelic Furs and their self-titled album Psychedelic Furs. And for our EP, we're going to do number 16, and it is Teen Idols and their EP, Minor Disturbance. So we'll see what the difference is as far as, like, early. <laughs> Those 80s. are both better choices. Right? <laughs> yeah. This is very, very rude that you did this. <laughs> well, we I gave had, you I had a blast. From, so. <laughs> yeah, I did it to myself. Uh, but so, I, I don't know. But uh, it, it was kind of fun hating on the stranglers i'm gonna listen to more stranglers and um you know sorry Hugh. yeah uh, <laughs> well thanks uh, for being game to listen to some very rough stuff yeah <laughs> no we'll problem. have to have you back on and like give you some better choices right. of albums oh, to talk fine. about you're just giving me equally as bad choices then i will <laughs> well we call josh for the bad records <laughs> that's fine that's i watch bad movies all the time for the same purpose so it is really my end uh tell us uh where can we buy your records where can we buy you know you know stuff you've put out what do we need to follow 
Um, directly from Self-Aware, so selfawarerecords.com. Uh, it's probably better to like go directly to our web store. Uh, we're kind of just, we, we have to do a lot of online work and uh, kind of clean things up. But uh, yeah, just selfawarerecords.com and um, everything for the most part is on Spotify with uh, Late Bloomer, All Right, and most Self-Aware Records releases. Um, you know, we're the Late Bloomer Records pretty well distributed but you can get it through 6131 records and the new all right ep you can get through black number awesome so, and uh, i'm actually gonna go see john russell tonight uh knowing's playing in winston-salem so i'm gonna go go see him tonight so so. stuff and i'll see him tomorrow so yeah yeah well as of we're recording right yes this this will come out in two weeks so okay. <laughs> i won't see him tomorrow then right or who knows i feel like i see him every three weeks even though he lives in richmond now <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well awesome well, thanks. uh thanks a lot for coming on the show and um yeah it was yeah, fun thanks for having me have a good one thanks your boy captain america over here <laughs> the best of the best of the best sir <laughs> yeah, with honors <laughs> you know he's just really excited and he has no clue why we're here <laughs> that's just that's very funny to me <laughs> Y'all ain't laughing though.